Welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from St. Peter to Francis. And this is episode 5, Pope Anacletus. Oh yeah, you're right. That's a bad name. It is a bad name. Back in episode 1, we talked about how we were going to qualify the popes. And how many of the lists had popes with various numbers of how many popes have actually poped. And uh, we can definitely blame Anacletus for some of the confusion. Oh, it's Cletus' fault. Okay. At least at least for the first mess of numbering that comes with the first, like, ten popes or so, part of it is definitely Anacletus' fault. So, Anacletus throws a very special wrench in the whole of the sources because Anacletus has the unusual precedent of being cited as two separate people. I'm shaking my head. You cannot see me. Yes, this is a podcast. You're going to have to explain your visual gags here. In the ancient world, both Cletus and Anacletus were normally used names. To distinguish between the two, Cletus was a Greek name translated to one who has been called. And Anacletus is a Greek name that translates to one who has been called back. Very important distinction there. Hollaback boy. Yes, one of them is a hollaback boy. This is kind of how the sources have gotten all jumbled. The Liberian Catalog, the Liber Pontificalis, and some others have recorded a pope called Cletus, and then a pope called Anacletus in their records. And usually they are separated by Pope Clement, which will be our next episode. He is cited as being number three and number five. Did he take a break or did he pope the whole time? He is not one of the popes who has retired or given up the papacy, but we will be talking about people who've done that, so. I didn't know if he went on like a sabbatical for a couple of years and then came back. Well, he could have. Maybe that. Maybe that's why the sources are all confused. However... Other sources, like Irenaeus and Eusebius and Augustine and Optatus, cite them as both being one individual. And then there's Tertullian, who omits him altogether, because there is no Pope Anacletus at all, according to him. In modern scholarship, nearly everyone agrees that Cletus and Anacletus are the same person. It's extremely unlikely, even with the idea of, like, collective leadership and multiple bishops of Rome potentially going on at the same time, it's really unlikely that we had a Cletus and an Anacletus that were both bishops of Rome at the same time within the same space. It's just not likely to have happened. I mean, you say that, but you then said it was a popular name. Well, I'll tell you what the distinction is here. All right. It's not just John and another John. It's, it is definitely not a John sort of name. See, and I'll tell you why there was probably not likely two people named this at the same time. And that is that Anacletus itself is more of a slave name. Okay. And we know this because we know that based on his name, more than likely Anacletus was originally a slave and was probably a freedman by the time of his adult life. And we know that 
because mainly he came through Christianity through St. Peter, likely through hearing him preach, and we know that Peter ordained him as a deacon and then consecrated him as a priest personally. So, yeah, probably a slave. Probably the same guy, yeah. We don't really know a lot about Anacletus, so let's just jump into it, I guess. He was born in roughly 25 AD, and because of the two Cleti problem here, we have two potential origins. Either Anacletus is a Greek, son of Antiochus, or he was a Roman, son of Emilianus. Which one do you think we should choose? Probably the, the Roman. Well, because we are in Rome. That would make sense. So, as of today, we have decided here on Pontifax that Anacletus was born in roughly 25 AD as a Roman, son of Emilianus, most likely a slave. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's what we're going with. And I will note that he is not the only pope that we will look at that was probably a slave at some point. So, this is kind of an interesting little nod in the history that really doesn't get mentioned a whole lot. We know that, again, he came to Christianity through Peter. He was ordained as a deacon and then consecrated as a priest. And we know then that he traveled and preached like all the other priests were doing at the time. And there's very little to tell us about where he went or how long he was away for. But we do know that he at least established a small Christian community in Ruvo Apulia in modern-day Bari in southern Italy, where he was converting and baptizing people in secret. Ooh, in secret. But down-low baptisms. Although I will admit that the only site that I found for this community being recorded historically was on a website called Pope Anacletus for Kids. What a choice! Is there not other Pope for Children sites? Is it just Anacletus? He is so far the only one I have found attached to this website. It's obviously some sort of Catholic community for kids, but it, it, it literally all it sends you to is a page that is Pope Anacletus for Kids, and it's got a paragraph that's like seven lines long, and that is the whole website. It's a little strange, but I mean... The kids need to know that Anacletus established a Christian community in Ruvo Opalia. It's important. We have to take that for what it is. But we do know, or at least the way that we can back this up at least a little bit, is that a diocese was established in Ruvo fairly early on, which means it did have one of the larger early Christian populations. A whole diocese? Yeah. Wow. That diocese endured into 1986, when it was finally absorbed into a larger diocese. For it to have had such a large population to get a diocese in the early church means that it's, it's likely that someone like Anacletus would have been the first bishop there. But beyond that, we don't really know where else he went, if he went anywhere at all. But we do know that at some point he returns to Rome after Linus dies. And likely on account of having been consecrated by Peter, he then assumes the bishop role after Linus, and for our purposes, becomes Pope. But again, we don't see Pope as a title that's exclusive for the pontiff as what we would call Pope today. Anacletus's papacy. Yeah. And just like Linus, what Anacletus is credited for doing in his papacy is heavily debated. 
He is most famous for dividing Rome into 25 parishes based on what he viewed as the need for church communities to be smaller. How big is Rome that it needs 25? Rome is pretty massive at this point. We're talking end of first century AD. The population has been estimated between 1 million or even upwards to 4 or 5 million people if you count non-permanent residents and non-citizens. Okay. Yeah, that's big. So even if 1% of them are Christians, or even if one half of a percent of them are Christians, that's a huge amount of people to manage, especially when you're still trying to keep a relatively low profile. So he's dividing the, the parishes into these 25 segments so that the church can be smaller, managed by more people, as a way to remain cohesive and connected, but that the people are actually being heard and actually being cared for. But it definitely doesn't make sense to be dividing Rome into these parishes unless there were enough ordained priests to manage the communities in the area. There's like 18 less, I checked. Yeah, so we know for sure that Anacletus was consecrating bishops and ordaining priests along the way. Some say there are at least six who become bishops, and one of them will be the future Pope Evaristus, who we're going to get to in a couple episodes. That's also a crazy name. There are so many crazy names at the beginning that that one doesn't even hit my radar. And, the, you know, it's it's like they didn't pick name. This is just their given name from birth. Oh, yeah. And there's going to be some that you're like, wow, you have terrible parents. So we know at least six bishops. There might have been about 25 priests, one for every parish. But again, historians like to argue on the likelihood of how many he could have consecrated at the time. But on the subject of consecration and ordination, there is one thing that we have from Anacletus that has endured. He was apparently the first to pass ordinances on the practice of consecrating bishops, ordering that from his time and onwards, for any consecration, at least three bishops must be present to participate. Oh, okay. So that's important. And that all ordinations of the church, whether for bishops or for priests or for deacons, all must be done in public. So we're starting to see a shift away from this idea of secrecy, but this is also, you know, you could say the first church transparency so that people know what's going on. They know who's going to be in charge of them. And for some reason, we also have Anacletus credited with setting up all the precedents and rules for ecclesiastical dress and appearance. It's his fault. Yes, according to this idea, we have Anacletus laying out specific clothing for members of the early church to wear. He prohibits the priests and the bishops from having long beards or long hair. That's why you see that all of these guys very early on are fairly clean-shaven. Was that to distinguish them from the Jewish people? That's potentially a factor, and this is a time where we're going to start seeing a shift away from identifying. You know, again, they're trying not to be so secret about who they are, so this is another way in which they can discern themselves out in public. However, this is almost entirely, certainly not true at all, for a number of reasons. 
And the first is that we have no records or examples of official church vestments until the time of Constantine, which is like 200 years after this point. All evidence that we have up until that point just shows that people wore their regular daily clothes in church. And shorter cropped hair and beards were also pretty much standard fashion for the time within the city. And beards wouldn't even be in fashion at all, and really, until Hadrian becomes emperor, which is 20 years after Anacletus' papacy. Again, not likely true that he made any type of ordinances over clothes, any ordinances over hair, any ordinance over your face. You know, he's just... They really want to just put it on these early popes. Well, and what we see here, and this is something that we see in the sources when you look back and you read, like if you read the whole Liber Pontificalis, you'll notice that the first popes, each one of them have something attributed to them towards the building of the church. So it's all very neat and tidy. This person did this, then this person introduced this, and then this person did this. And this is that whole apostolic succession thing happening. You know, these they're they're at each person is adding something new to the church to grow it in a fantastic way because they are assuming the primacy based on Peter. Even if it's not true. It's just a nice puzzle piece to put in there to make it Yes, to make it seem extra legit, and in the process making it not very legit at all. That seems fake, but okay. Right. But there is one final thing that we can credit Anacletus for, and this is the building of the first church on the site of St. Peter's burial, which would ensure a burial place for future popes on Vatican Hill with their apostolic leader. He may have also reserved burial sites for future martyrs in Christian cemeteries, which is not only a super oddly morbid thing to do, but it doesn't quite fit the timeline of the church, since I very much doubt that there are designated Christian cemeteries popping up quite yet, so... Seems a little early. But we do know that he built at least something over the site of St. Peter's burial, which would become the first church, and this is going to be replaced several times throughout history, but... And it's now the Basilica? It is now the Basilica, which we will we will get to in time, but basically the start of the Basilica, if you will, could go back to Constantine again. So then he dies, and we don't know a lot about the end of Anacletus's life. One source said he died on July 13th, 92 AD. According to this source, he was buried next to Linus on Vatican Hill, which would be near St. Peter and the church that he built. And so, again, this would make sense if he had made those accommodation for future popes to all be buried there. However, again, there have been modern excavations of the site, and they haven't found any remains that match anything to do with Anacletus. They have not found a tomb like they did with Linus. So it's hard to say. All these bones, they're just missing. And we also don't know if he was martyred, even though it's assumed that he was. Maybe he just died. His death is right in the middle of the reign of Emperor Domitian, who conducted some pretty serious Christian persecutions, and he was kind of really crazy. If you want to hear more about him, check out the Totalis Rankium episode, because they do a fantastic job. But it's pretty much a given that he was probably killed by Domitian somewhere along the line. 
His name is in the canon of the Mass and in the Roman Martyrology, so even though we have no details, we just kind of have to assume that he did not meet a natural death. I guess. I mean, they're usually pretty specific about, like, this is how this person died. And if it's just sort of like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, kind of just died. Well, and I think by the time we actually come to a pope that dies naturally, it's going to be amazing. Because I'm further ahead in the research, and uh, that hasn't happened yet. Oh my goodness. Okay. Spoiler. People keep killing these popes. A lot of the popes are getting martyred, so... I mean, so, okay. Would it be like a mass grave situation, maybe? With the... Because they just don't know how he died. Well, and this is one thing that we see with this whole excavation thing and not finding the bodies, and, and this idea of having these Christian burials reserved. Most of these popes at the time would have been executed as criminals. They didn't really afford for nice burials for criminals in the Roman Republic. We will actually talk at one point about where they had a refuse pit for the execution of criminals, which is on the Esquiline Hill, but we're going to get there. It, the reality is, is they were probably, unless their followers were then taking their bodies and making sure of these burials, it may all be untrue. You do want to tie up your stories with nice little bows if you have this sort of following. It's very convenient to have them all buried on Vatican Hill, according to the sources, but this is not what we're finding. So, where did Anacletus go? We don't know. Probably doesn't matter that much. It really doesn't. But, with that in mind, let's see how Anacletus does when we rate him. Papatum infallium. How successful was he as Pope? We have the first division of Rome into the 25 parishes. Which is important. That's, that's a pretty important step. And it's, it's very important to like the cohesiveness of the church, that people are getting to know their overseers or their leaders in terms of the church, and yet they're able to make sure that... For lack of a better term, everyone is the right type of Christian and that they're following the same messages by spreading out. So that's fairly important. Then again, we have the consecration of new bishops, the ordination of new priests, blah, blah, blah. We have the ordinance for the consecrations, which is fairly important because this is still technically canon law. If you want to have an ordained priest, there need to be or rather, an ordained bishop, at least. There need to be three bishops present, and it needs to be done in a public environment. This one has lasted. And then we have the building of the first church on the site of Peter's burial. Obviously, in a sense, this has also lasted. It's still kind of there, in just a completely different form. They renovated it quite a bit. They sure do. Oh, do they ever. So what do we want to give Anacletus for his papacy based on these things? I can give him like a six. I think he's probably worthy of about a four. It's still early on. I'm not seeing any massive, massive things, but there are some points of legacy, and I think that's fairly important. So that gives him a ten. Fructus prohibitum. Again... We've got nothing. Got a zero. 
Yeah, our early popes are important, but not very scandalous quite yet. So, he gets a zero. Seculari impactum. So, effect on the everyday people. Again, this is not quite a time period where that's happening. The church is not really big enough to have an impact on the outside world, but he is converting people. He's setting up new communities, which are bound to draw people in. But that's going to continue to just be a fact of the church for a while. But I am going to give him a bonus point for this section just for the Pope Anacletus for Kids website. It deeply impacted me as a secular person and made me laugh and be very confused. So I'm going to give him one. I'll give him like a two. I mean, he's at least chopped up Rome into bite-sized pieces and is converting people and doing it in a more... I don't know, functional fashion where everybody knows who everybody is and it's nothing is trying to be super secretive anymore. Yeah, they're they are coming out of the woodwork a little bit. They're they're starting to allow themselves to be known. So I think that's fair. We'll give them a three for Secularis Impactum. Fossium Sanctus. For Anacletus, we're gonna do this round a little differently. I am going to show you the standard picture for Anacletus for us to judge, since, we're, again, we're out without a description from anywhere. And that's the photo that we're going to judge, but then we're going to have a bonus round. And the bonus round is going to be that I am going to show you pictures of, uh, from a book that has Anacletus listed as two different people. So there is a portrait of Anacletus, and then there is a portrait of Cletus. And we're going to do a compare and contrast to decide whether or not we think these depictions are the same person or not. All right. Okay, so first of all, this is the photo in which we're going to judge him on, so please feel free to describe him to our audience. He looks so shocked. He looks like a shocked version of Linus. He does look like a shot, but he does not have luscious lips. He doesn't, he, no, they, they took out the luscious lips and then gave him, like, a horrified open mouth. His bunny poof? Yep, the bunny poof is still there. It's there, but it looks a little, um, more feeble. Yeah, it's also lopsided. It's not quite in the center. Well, he, he's definitely given the side eye to something, so maybe that's why. He's horrified. Whatever it is, he is having none of it. He's just about to yell at the young folk down the lane. He heard them say a swear. So what would you like to give Anacletus based on this? Out of ten. Can I give him a zero? You can give him a zero. He is not an attractive man. He doesn't even have lips to back up his unattractiveness. I think I'm going to score him a little higher. Are you going to be gentle? I like the expression. I have looked at a lot of these standard Pope pictures in the last little bit, and it's nice to see someone with at least a little side eye, so I'm going to give him a three. Okay. And that will give him a total score for Facium Sanctum of 0 0.75. So, not scoring very well anyways. And now for our bonus round. I am going to send you first the portrait of Anacletus, followed by, and this expression is a little different, but this is the portrait of Cletus. So let's compare and contrast the two. Okay. Well, the portrait of Cletus 
looks like some sort of hobbit s character. Okay. In what way? In what way? Mm. He's got a very... He just looks like a hobbit. There's no... There's no way to explain how he looks like a hobbit. He okay. just looks like he needs to go on a quest with a wizard. I think that the Anacletus versus the Cletus one, Anacletus looks much more haggard. Oh yeah, he does. What else? What else do you notice about the two? Um, the, His eyes are not nearly as bright. His hair is a little more sparse. He's got a longer mustache. He wears his, uh, whatever that cloth is called, different. It's a little jaunty. It is a little jaunty. I like his expression in these ones. It's very, like, hmm. For some reason, his neck is really thick. He's got a thick neck. I bet he's got some biceps under there. Well, he looks older in that one, so maybe he started working out in later life. Perhaps. He had to lift something. He also has a, it looks like the cloth folds almost in a rope around his neck, whereas young Cletus has a much more tidy look about him. Oh, yeah. They do look very similar, though. The nose is of the same shape. Mm-hmm. So if you had to decide, would you say that they are the same person? I would. I would call this a Pokemon evolution, yes. So which one is the evolved version? And which one is the original base model Pokemon? The Anacletus is the original Pokemon that you catch. And then the Cletus <laughs> has evolved. So he's gotten younger as he's evolved. He's looking looking better. That makes sense. New and shiny. Mm-hmm. So we have decided that they are the same person. And we've already given him his score. So we can move on to... Tempus Pontificus. The Annuario Pontifico puts Anacletus's pontificate going from 79 to 92, ending with his death. This means we have our first really notable Sede Vicante, which is a period without a pope, of about three years, since we know that Linus was said to have been killed in 76. So, overall... We have a papacy of 13 years, which gives us a Tempus Pontificus score of 3.25. They were just they were just like, hey, can you come to Rome? And he's like, I like it here. I like it where I'm at. Can you come to Rome? No. Can you come to Rome? No. He took his time. Three years later, he's like, fine, if you won't shut up about it. What if he was in the town just like next door? And he's just like, nah, I'm good. I'm fine here. Uh, now I will trottle on over. I guess. Can't find anyone else. All right, everybody, it's the cannon bonus round! Do, 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 do. He's a saint. He has a feast day on April 26th in conjunction with Saint Marcellinus. But there is also a feast day on July 13th just for him. So, again, two people, two feast days. We run into the same issue here. The feast day on April 26th is usually referred to as the Feast of St. Cletus and Marcellinus, whereas the feast on July 13th is back to the Feast of St. Anacletus. So, even the church isn't keeping it straight. No, no one has any idea. And he's not a patron saint of anything. Nothing? 
no, we can uh, we can decide for him what kind of patron saint he's going to be from now on. Um, probably shoulder presses. <laughs> okay, shoulder presses it is. Well done, Anacletus. You are now the patron saint of shoulder presses. I had to contribute to his suddenly huge neck somehow. Yeah, he's getting beefy. And with that, we will announce that his total score is 18 points. Okay, what place does that put him in? That puts him in third place as Pope number three. He is 1.75 points behind Linus. And to me, that seems just about right. Yeah. I'm good with that. We're doing well. We are. Pat on the back. I will pat myself on the back. You pat yourself on the back. Excellent. Perfect. And that brings us to the final question, which is where we ask, do they have that special personality? Have they left enough of a legacy? Do they have that popey pizzazz that makes them worthy of a papal bull? No, I'm not feeling it. He's, uh, he's not quite got what Peter had. He's even a little bit less than Linus, and we didn't give it to Linus. And I know who follows him, and I think that's going to be significantly more impressive. Spoilers. Well, maybe. Maybe you won't feel the same way. Maybe. But there's much to entice you, I am sure. All right. And with that in mind, that brings us to the end of our episode. And before we go, we need to make a couple thank yous. So, again, thanks to Rex Factor and Totalis Rankium for being our supports. Uh, we need to also thank Emperors of Rome slash When in Rome, Matt Smith. You've been tweeting about us. That was really cool. Thank you very much. The Post-Apocalyptic Pod has been retweeting us as well and sending encouragement. Thank you for that. History of Vikings. Thank you for getting the word out about us on Twitter. And same for the Viking Age podcast. Those are two different podcasts. I listen to them both. Definitely check them out. All Vikings, all the time. And they're great podcasts. And, you know, I got my Viking heritage, so I love it. So thank you all for that. This is, I can't get over really how much support, retweets, encouragement, uh, people reaching out to us that we've been getting. That is awesome. So thank you so very, very much for all of that. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as Pontifax Pod. We're also on most major podcatching platforms, including iTunes, Pocket Casts, and Podbean. You can also email us at pontifaxpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, we can say thank you and goodbye. Bye. Bye.